This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. On this Palm Sunday, may I invite you to stand as we join together in our call to worship and then our opening hymn, Hosanna, Loud Hosanna, number 278. The choir will sing the first verse, the congregation, verses 1 and 3. May we worship the Lord in this place. I think you told me I'm, I'm supposed to come up here to beatbox. Is that what I'm here for? I'm no, just kidding. 
All right, this is children's time. All children's are welcome to come up here. And it looks like you guys have some things in your hands, some branches. Uh, <laughs> wait, what are you doing with these branches? Why, were you guys working in the garden today? What'd you say? You, what, you're not here to fan me? What? I thought, I thought that's why you came up. I thought you brought this up here to, you know, take. All right, all right, cool. That's fine. Wait, so why do you have the palm branches? Katie. Today's Palm Sunday. That's right. Today's Palm Sunday. Yeah, come on up. Grab a seat. Today is Palm Sunday. And wait, what'd you say? Oh, okay. All right. So today is Palm Sunday. And every year at this time, we bring our palm branches and we lay them on the ground just like the people did when Jesus was riding in, into the town of Jerusalem, right? They went ahead of Jesus, and they put down their palm branches and even their clothes, and they treated him like a king, right? But does anybody know what, Jesus, what animal Jesus was riding on on that day? Alexander. Not an elephant. Nope. Uh, Christina. A giraffe? Nope. Nope. Yes, Evan. A triceratops? Nope. <laughs> You, yes, in the back. A rhino? No. Where do you, what stories have you guys been reading? Are you serious? Wait. Oh, oh, you said donkey? Okay, all right. Oh, okay, yes. That is correct. A donkey. That's what he was writing. A donkey. You know that the animal that kind of looks like a horse, but it, but it sounds... What, how does it sound? It goes, hee-haw, hee-haw. So on the count of three, we're going to do our best. We're going to make our best donkey sound, all right? On the count of three. I'll do it together. All right. Three, two, one. Yeah. That, was, that was actually pretty good. I'm impressed. All right. I want to see you guys do it exactly at the same time now and even louder than before. Ready? We'll try it one more time. Three, two, one. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Nice. So, uh, this past weekend, actually yesterday, I got to go see the movie Zootopia, which came out a couple weeks ago, and it was amazing, and there's lots and lots of different kinds of animals in that movie. And the first, the main character is a rabbit, and uh, I actually, when I was your age, as a little kid, I had a rabbit as a pet, and his name was Whiskers. And <laughs> which, uh, how many of you have a pet? Who has a pet? or had a pet, or wants a pet. Uh, Sarah, what kind of pet do you have? Two cats, what are their names? Simba and Minnie? Like Minnie, like Minnie Mouse? Minnie Cat? Uh, Christina? You had a pet fish, but it died? Kayla? Three dogs? Wow, three dogs and a cat. Which which one's your favorite? The third dog. What? Can, oh, puppy. How old is she? All right, nice. Well, um, you know, who has a donkey at home? You have a donkey at home? Do you really? Do you live in a farm? Ah, oh, you're joking with me. I was gonna say seriously. So none of you guys have a donkey in your house, kind of wandering around? 
I would say it's probably fair to say none of you have a donkey in your house, but but you probably have been to a petting zoo and and and, and petted a donkey at a petting zoo, right? Yeah. yeah. So one question I have to ask you, all right? It's Palm Sunday. We're talking about Jesus riding on a donkey. What kind of king is called Palm Sunday because you're, you're holding palms and they would throw the palms down on the street before the king? But what kind of king, right? What kind of king rides a donkey? That's kind of a little bit strange. I mean, they're, Jesus. Yes, hey, good answer. Good answer. Jesus. But it's a little bit strange, a little bit funny, right? Because what would you expect a king to ride in on? Maybe like a, a, a yeah, beautiful, majestic, strong horse. Um, or maybe a chariot pulled by a bunch of horses. An, an elephant. Yeah, maybe in some, some cultures. Uh, but, uh, but he comes in on a donkey, and the answer to that question is, what kind of king rides in a donkey? A, a humble king. A humble king. A, a king that, uh, we, you know, we serve a king, Jesus Christ, who comes in riding on a donkey and even willing to give up his whole, his life for us. That's amazing, isn't it? Yes, it is amazing. It's amazing that we serve a king who doesn't rule by force, doesn't make you love him, doesn't rule by fear, doesn't make, try to make you afraid. He rules by God's love. That's the humble king that we serve. And it's an incredible thing. And I want you to remember, every time you see a palm branch on the ground or up in the tree, remember that, the, that Jesus, King Jesus, loves you and that this humble king is a good king and a king that loves you and cares about you and cares for your best interests. As we come now to our time of uh, prayer, I would invite you to uh, join with us in our black hymnal, our prayer hymn 2128, Come and Find the Quiet Center.
Let us pray. Eternal God, in this time of prayer, we truly come to the foot of the throne of your grace. And in the name of Jesus Christ, O God, we ask that you will give us strength to walk this final week with him. And as we have in these past five weeks taken the road of Lent, ever focus and ever facing this week, in which some of the most powerful remembrances of your great love have been shared with us. O oh God, might we find ourselves, our lives, our hearts, our souls caught up in the mystery and the miracle of this wonderful story. Not a story of something that happened but 2,000 years ago, but a story that happens in our hearts and lives even this week as we open our hearts to it once more to be lived within us. As we have walked the stations of the cross in Lent, O oh God, we have walked the way with you. Might we find ourselves ever faithful as we go to the cross, but with the hope of that which follows behind it. And find ourselves, O oh Lord, this week in the presence of him who continues to be with us on the way. And so, O oh Lord, now we take these next few moments of silence. And in them, O oh God, if there's a prayer to give, a heart to be open, a moment to contemplate, may we just give these next moments to you in any way that we need your presence now. And in this silence, O oh God, we might find that to be still truly is to hear the word of God. Speak to us, O Lord. O oh Lord, even a moment when touched by eternity becomes an eternal moment. Thank you for touching us in this moment. And in this moment now, share it with the days to come that we might always be in your presence as we walk faithfully with Jesus Christ. And this we pray in his name who taught us that we might pray, even as we say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not unto temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
ushers come forward to receive this morning's gifts, tithes, and offerings.
Listen and receive a reading from the word of God. Create in us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within us, according to your grace and mercy. May we affirm our faith with joy and a willing spirit as we hear the scripture from St. John 19, verses 28 through 30. After this, when Jesus knew that all was finished, he said, in order to fulfill the scripture, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there. So they put it on a sponge, full of the wine, on a branch of hyssop, and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the wine, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This is God's word for God's people. Thanks be unto God. May we pray. Glorious God, we give you thanks and praise as we join together this Palm Sunday to lift our voices in song and in praise. We give you thanks and praise that we might join together to hear your word shared once again that has touched hearts and lives. May we have ears to hear and a willingness to receive that our lives might too be transformed. We give you thanks this day through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. We began this morning in celebration waving palm branches and lifting our voices, singing our loudest hosannas for the coming king. And we join our voices together with generations throughout the ages who have lifted their praise as Jesus entered into the city of Jerusalem. In a, the excitement that was caused over this Passover celebration, over this Passover feast, and the hope that a king had come, the people, the crowd shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Yet as those shouts of acclamation died down, we witness an irony of sorts in this narrative. For you see, the people looked for a mighty ruler to come, but failed to recognize the king in their midst. They watched true power as it transformed into what appeared to be complete powerlessness they believed the, Maya, the Messiah had come to save them, only to see him soon to be crucified. Their hope was quickly fading as their expectations were no longer to be met. As the week went on, things changed. The people started to grow frustrated. The people started to turn away from Jesus, perplexed, rejected, saddened, discouraged, they couldn't understand or accept the things that they were experiencing and the things that they were witnessing. By the end of the week, the cheers of Hosanna had turned into shouts of crucify him. What began as a triumphant entry into the city appears to become an utter defeat as the only one who could bring life was led forth to death. Throughout this Lenten season, we have looked at some of the Stations of the Cross. Gary and I have been going through the Stations of the Cross series, looking at the last 24 hours of Jesus' life, beginning with that prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, to this Palm Sunday morning as we look at Jesus' death on the cross. You know, if we were to look at all four of the Gospels, we would have a different account of the crucifixion, but by reading all four, we'd have unique accounts that were brought together to give us a more complete understanding of what happened on the cross that day. 
On Good Friday, we often look at in depth at some of the sayings that Jesus uttered from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I am thirsty. A few weeks back, if you remember, in this series, Gary gave a great description on the crucifixion and on what happens to a person, the pain, the agony, the humiliation that they experience as they are crucified. When we read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we see that crucifixion, we see that agony played out when the words that Jesus utters in the mockings and in all that he experiences while on the cross. Yet here in John, we hear not a cry of anguish, but a statement of fact as Jesus proclaims it is finished. No more powerful words have been spoken in history. No more truth and no greater truth has been shared with the world since the proclamation that lo unto you this day is born a child in the city of Bethlehem. You see, in these three words, it is finished, are wrapped the gospel message because through it forgiveness is given and God's kingdom has come. In three words, we find the foundation and the grounding for a believer's assurance that through Jesus, a relationship with God is restored. In these three words, we discover the sum of all joy and the very nature and the heart of God's comfort. For God set his people free from the bondage of sin and death. Yet even it is finished doesn't really give us a complete, a full understanding of all that transpired that day, of all that happened when Jesus was dying on a cross. To fully understand what happened. You know, I, I was amazed. Uh, when, I, when I was uh, writing the sermon, if you look at the Greek, the word teleho, the, the word that, that they translate, it is finished, does in fact mean it is finished. But there's a much more complete understanding. And I love translations because we'll never have a great word-for-word -word translation. But teleho can also mean it is made complete or it is made whole as if from the beginning. What God started at the beginning was now to be brought into completion, into fulfillment. Teleho can mean it was paid for as in a debt has been paid, a debt has been canceled. Teleho can mean it is performed like a requirement has been fulfilled. You see, when we start to look at this bigger understanding of it is finished or it is performed, it is paid for, it is made complete and whole, it gives us a new understanding and a new appreciation for what really happens on the cross. You see, because when Jesus utters this word, it is finished, there's a much bigger understanding. First, Jesus' death was the fulfillment of all the prophetic voices and all the prophetic words that had been uttered before this moment. You know, we know the prophecies of, of Jesus' birth. We know that he would be born in the city of David, and we know all of the things that are proclaimed. But sometimes we lose sight of all the same prophetic voices that talk of his death. But these prophecies are just as definitive, just as personal, and just as comprehensive I think it does a huge disservice. When we look at the birth prophecies and we say, okay, we get that. But when you look at the death prophecies, we start to spiritualize it or completely disregard it. Because at best, 
At best, we're inconsistent. At worst, we're illogical. And we completely disregard God's voice. You know, there's over 300 prophecies that are made that Jesus fulfills, both in his birth and in his death and throughout his life. Even here upon the cross, he fulfills the prophecy when it says that he will be offered vinegar. You know, in some translations, it says sour wine, it says vinegar. Even here upon the cross, Jesus fulfills the prophetic word. Second, Jesus' death brought to completion his sufferings. Picture, if you will, Jesus hanging upon the cross. The man who knew no sin, the man who was perfect. But in above him is written the king of Jews. Here he suffers upon a cross. And through the cross we begin to see the depths of Jesus' humiliation at the hands of man against God's greater love. And it was that love that held him there, not the nails. Finally, the beatings, the insults, the trials, all that Jesus had gone through in those 24 hours were about to come to an end. The rejection of the people was soon to end. Even the silence that God would give at a moment on the cross would cease. People had done their worst. Jesus knew that it was finished as he endured the cross. No longer would darkness reign. The shame, the suffering, the pain that he had endured was to end. Never again would the king of kings experience pain. The crown of thorns was to be replaced with a crown of glory. And he would sit at the right hand of his father on a throne forevermore. Third, Jesus' death brought to completion the goal of his incarnation. In John 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and we learn that the Word became flesh. Throughout the Gospels, we hear Jesus say that he was about doing his Father's business. I and my fathers are one. I can't do anything but what God has called me, desired me, asked of me to do. And here in this moment, before his final breath, he brings to completion that task. See, because everything about Jesus reveals the reality of God's love and desire for people. Even through the death of Jesus, we begin to understand God's unending promise of love as the living word of God will breathe his last. On the cross, the difficult work is to be completed and the divine task is finished. It's performed. It was the task for which he left heaven's glory. That which he had taken on the form of a servant in flesh. And for that which he remained upon this earth to be faithful, to follow, and obedient to follow what God had called him to do. You see, for the incarnate Christ, we see God's perfect love that held him to the cross. For through the death of Jesus, God's goal of atonement is complete. Now, people have been debating for centuries, what does it mean that Jesus died on the cross? What is atonement? You know, Jesus died as a substitute for our sins. Jesus showed the ultimate act of an obedient son and his love upon the cross. Jesus was victorious over the grave. These and many more interpretations contain the truth of who Jesus is and what he did and his death meant for humanity. But I've come to realize atonement is only part of the process. You see, atonement 
what we say at one mint or at one with is based on God's forgiveness in order to allow humanity to draw closer to God. It begins with forgiveness. But the joy in forgiveness is that forgiveness leads to a reconciliation. And reconciliation is bringing together that which is apart, that which is in conflict, that which is torn in two. From forgiveness, we move to reconciliation, to bring back together and to be reconciled to one another and more so reconciled to God brings forth that salvation. You see the Latin word salve, it means heals. Salvation restores us, heals us, makes us complete back to that which God had formed from the beginning, which was perfect. And he said that it was good. To live in that perfect relationship with God and with one another is what reconciliation, salvation, and atonement are all about. It's about relationship. See, atonement is based upon God's love for us and a desire for community that we be reconciled or in a relationship with one another where God is front and center. This is that kingdom that is promised both now and for eternity, where God reigns. Fifth, Jesus pays the debt of our sins. You know, the crucifixion makes no pretense about the seriousness of sin. Sin is in part a violation of God's perfect love and goes directly against, it goes in the face of who God is. God's reaction to this violation is judgment. And I know judgment is a bad word that we say today, but if you look at it in light of all things, God's judgment isn't seen as a, a punitive revenge or as a getting even. Rather, God's judgment is an expression of God's love because he desires to bring forth a rehabilitation, to bring forth that which was perfect. You see, all throughout the Gospels, all throughout Scripture, we see God's perfect love for that because we hear verses like, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends, even unto the cross. In Christ, God was reconciling the world unto himself. You know, through the death of Jesus, he can identify with a people that are separated from God. Not that he was with sin. However, Jesus took into himself this violation of God's love by humanity by living through this violation and reaching beyond it. He bore the weight of the world's sin. And Jesus on the cross reveals for humanity just the distance that really does exist between God and humanity. Yet through his death upon that cross, we see that the gap closes. Six, Jesus' death fulfills the law's requirements. A few weeks ago, I said that the law was insufficient. The law that God gave through Moses to the people was insufficient, not because God made a mistake, but because people could not live up to their end of the bargain. They couldn't do that which was expected and required of them. And because the law required sacrifice, through Jesus' perfect sacrifice, a condition of relationship was set apart from the law. On the basis of God's grace and forgiveness, a new relationship could begin. 
And the beauty of this is that we realize only a God of grace would be so lovingly persistent. Only a God of grace would continue to pursue time and time again, and this time in Jesus, to offer his love to his people. Seven, Jesus brought to close the destruction of Satan's power. You know, at Easter... We proclaim it in every memorial or funeral that Gary and I preside over. We proclaim, where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? As we continue on in this season of Lent, and as we enter into this Holy Week, might we remember that through Jesus' death on the cross, we know the grave is not the end of the story. We know the grave can no longer hold us. The power of death is gone. Our sins will no longer keep us from God when we turn from them and turn back to God and seek God's kingdom offered through Christ. That's the gospel message that Jesus proclaims. Repent, turn away from sin, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You see, the promise of the future has been given that God's love offered in Christ Jesus wins every time. As we remember how the passion narrative is shared, how it's given, Jesus is presented with forceful intensity coming into Jerusalem amid waving palm branches. By the end, he's wearing a thorn, a crown of thorns, carrying a cross. And in this, we're confronted with two realities. The first is how great is the suffering God will go to for grace that it might be given. And second, how easy we can reject it. Here this morning at the cross, we see God's perfect love laid out as arms are opened wide in invitation. In Jesus' words, we understand that God does far more than we can ask or imagine. That God continues to call to us, even upon the cross, by name. And this declaration by the divine Redeemer, who is Christ, for all that he came from heaven to earth to do, has now been done. All that was needed to reveal the full character and the fullness of who God is, has now been accomplished. The full price of our redemption was paid. You see, this morning, it boils down to we have a choice. We can choose to receive. We can choose to see the man who is hanging on a cross to receive God's grace and love that was poured out through him. Or we reject it. We turn our back. We scoff at him. We mock him. We keep him nailed to a cross, and we miss the message of Jesus' death that we might have life and have it in abundance. May we pray. Glorious God, we give you thanks, for we know on this Palm Sunday that we sing our praises, but we ask that you prepare our hearts as we continue in this journey that we call faith to strive to grow closer to you through your Son that in him we have life. That in this week we will not jump past the cross to the resurrection, but that we go through this journey to experience the hurt and the pain and the anguish. 
knowing that in those times you were there and that through that we continue to grow closer with you as we go to the cross. We experience the tomb and we celebrate a risen Savior. Be with us this day through him in whose name we pray, Jesus our Lord. Amen. In just a moment, the confirmants will come forward as we prepare to strip the altar and to raise the shroud to cover our cross. We began the day in praise. This week, we continue on in the passion to experience all that Christ experienced. And on this day, we strip the altar and we raise the shroud to remind us of the days that lie ahead. But the joy that next Sunday when we meet together again in this place to celebrate Easter, we'll see the joy of new life, of resurrection, and all that Christ has given unto us. We invite you to experience and to journey in this together. May the confirmands come forward. <laughs> to take a moment to reach out and take a hand near you. As we leave today, we leave in silence. 
even as we remember the somberness of this week, but we come back next week in glory and joy. Receive this God's benediction and blessing in the name of God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. May you be blessed this week to follow Jesus Christ faithfully to the cross. Amen.